Welcome to A Virtual View, a telehealth podcast brought to you by the Upper Midwest Telehealth Resource Center. This is Danielle Rankley, your host, and today I am joined by Mark Russell and Jan Sun-Lanier from The Telegraph. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting us. Could you both tell me a little about yourself? I'm Mark Russell. I'm the marketing communications manager for Vitalograph. I've been with the company for five years. I've been in healthcare for over 25 years, and I joined the company at a really, really exciting time. Right before COVID, at least a year and a half, we were involved in lots of conferences and trade shows. And then basically COVID hit and we had to transition a lot of our marketing strategy to be more remote. And, and this year we've got a plethora of new products that we're getting ready to launch. Yeah. And I'm Jansen Lanier, National Sales Manager, Respiratory Therapist for Vitalograph. I have been in respiratory sleep diagnostics since 2006 in every capacity you could think of for a couple of different companies. I joined Vitalograph three years ago this week. And like Mark was mentioning, a lot of transitions, changes, and just from the view of the company to how do you change the outlook of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis because of the pandemic. So tell me a little bit more about Vitalograph. What do you guys do? Vitalograph products and services are chosen by medical professionals over 113 countries for healthcare, occupational, and clinical trials. We manufacture and supply quality spirometry and respiratory medical devices, which are Use as aid to detection and diagnosis and control of respiratory conditions. We also deliver successful clinical trials for many of the world leading world leading pharmacy pharmaceutical companies, biotech and contracted research organizations. Right now, we have probably over sixty nine live clinical trials worldwide. Yeah, I like to say we started in nineteen sixties as a respiratory diagnostic company. We were in occupational health is where we got started branched out from there. When I say respiratory diagnostics, it is everything from occupational health to primary, secondary health, even into clinical mm-hmm. trials. And so we basically, the assistance to staff to help diagnose respiratory illnesses. And we're based in the UK. That's where our corporate, we're a family-owned company. And we have offices in Germany, Japan, and of course here in the US. Our devices are manufactured in Ireland. Wow. Working from multiple countries sounds like just a massive undertaking. Like the UMTRC, we operate in four states. And I know that even for us, like time zones are incredibly annoying. So I'm sure that coordination and planning is really important to make sure everyone's on the same page Absolutely. working so far. We're working with six and seven hour differences for meetings. So we'll have something at 7 a.m. and there's 3 p.m. You know, for their time. <laughs> and they're getting ready to finish their day. We're not even in the office yet. So it's just those things that you have to logistically deal with. But I think that we all work pretty well together as a company whole, because we have one goal, one mission, and that's to bring integrity to to the industry. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. So I have done the requisite amount of Googling over respiratory devices because I am not a medical professional in that sense, but I'm sure you could give a much more succinct explanation of what exactly they are and what they do than I could. Sure, so absolutely. I will leave that to you. A respiratory diagnosis devices, basically they help diagnose everything from asthma to cystic fibrosis, pulmonary fibrosis. It can be used to help identify cancer screenings, things like this. And it's across the board. It goes everywhere from uh, your home monitoring systems that are basically handheld pieces that people take a deep breath in and blow into. But overall, respiratory diagnostics is lung function. 
right? It's basically how the lungs are doing and is there any restrictions in the lungs? So mm -hmm. a patient come in and do what we consider a maneuver or a blow. They take a deep breath in and blow really hard, almost like you're doing a breathalyzer. I hope none of you have done breathalyzers, but if you have, you get the <laughs> idea, you've seen it on TV. But it's also even as far as breaking it down for inhaler use. So mm -hmm. you know that people are diagnosed inhalers for any respiratory illnesses, whether it's allergies during the fall and the spring, or it's upper respiratory infection, you get it. We have a device that tracks that to make sure people are utilizing the inhaler properly, getting the amount of medication they need. Because far too often, a, an inhaler is prescribed and the pharmacist, oh, do you know how to use an inhaler? Oh yeah, of course, whatever. Guess what? <laughs> More than likely, they're not doing it correctly. The device basically helps you walk through the timing mechanisms, or if it's a dry powder inhaler, making sure you're forcing inhale fast enough and so forth. So it's little things like this that we work with throughout either pharmacies, primary care, secondary care, allergy asthma clinics. I even said that we work with occupational health. Gotcha. So generally, these are going to be used for more chronic conditions then? Possibly, yeah. Yeah. These devices, you mentioned briefly that some of them do function as remote patient monitoring devices, yes? Absolutely. So we've had remote patient monitoring devices for quite some time in the late 90s. So mm. they've been around for a long time. What hasn't happened until the pandemic was it wasn't really being adopted at a hospital level. It was more of the primary practice and allergy asthma care centers would provide a lung monitor that would basically just track the patient post a lung transplant or post-asthma mm -hmm. diagnosis. But what happened is that when the pandemic came along, remote patient monitoring became a need. Mm -hmm. uh, before it was a luxury, now it's a need. And so now we're moving into the next stages of what are we doing to track said patients post-COVID, post-pulmonary tribonosis, post-lung transplant patients, and so forth. We're working with a lot of different 3PIs, which are third-party integrators that have apps for iPhones and Samsung Galaxy or whatever, the Google Play, that whatever newest uh, applications there are out there. Working with those guys to ensure that we're bringing the right options to the table. Yeah, RPM is a just a massive market right now. I think it's something like 14 million users in the U.S. alone. And I know it's expected to grow and just continue to grow. I right. attended the American Telehealth Association this year in May. And it oh, was awesome. the first time that we had attended the live show. <laughs> and so many big companies there that are looking at remote patient monitoring with a name Amazon, Walmart, they are all out there looking at for opportunities to help improve healthcare. Yeah, when it comes to remote patient monitoring, a lot of times it has been pulse oximetry, things mm -hmm. like this, the basics, weight scale, temperature, things that have been tying into an application. Now it's gotten so far as they want respiratory rate, they want FEV1 and peak flow and so forth that are coming across so you can track true respiratory related illnesses. That's why since the pandemic, that has come on quite strong. So respiratory uh, remote monitoring has been, or remote respiratory monitoring has been quite popular the last two years. Oh, I'm sure. And obviously it's not ideal for every device. Some do need like a medical professional. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we can't, absolutely. yeah. So, there is, so that's exactly why they call it a monitor instead of a spirometer, mm -hmm. something that they do in the lab with a technician that, that coaches them to do a proper maneuver. It's, it's like when you're lifting weights and you're pushing hard, but when you had a coach over there trying to push you even harder and harder, you're going to actually get that weight up. So imagine blowing mm -hmm. out as hard as you can. If you have a coach sitting next to you or talking to you over telehealth, 
They're blowing it through. They're telling you, go, you're going to get more of an effort to get better numbers. Right. When we do the remote patient monitoring, when it's just the patient at home, they're going to get solid results, but they're just a monitor. Mm-hmm. So they can tell their day-to-day numbers if they start to decline or a trend of declining. They know that they come into the to the hospital and do a full work on. Right. And that's good from the sense of we're saving the effort of those patients having to come in every day and get Absolutely. tested, but they're still. It, especially during the pandemic when people are afraid. Mm-hmm. I promise you people are still on that leery edge. Imagine first wave COVID patients. They were feeling ill. They come in, they get diagnosed with COVID. They're in the hospital for two weeks, three weeks, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden they're discharged. And they're still having symptoms, but they're afraid to come back. They're mm-hmm. afraid to say anything because they don't want to be in the same boat they just were. Okay. So we want to try to capture those patients again to continue to make sure they're doing okay. And I've had this mm-hmm. discussion with pulmonologists all across the country on follow-up, post-COVID follow-up. What are you doing? How are you making sure those patients are really taken care of? And honestly, majority of the docs that I talked to said there's not enough time in a day for them to follow up with as many patients that came through. So it's one of those where we have to put more focus on it or even put the hospital systems more on check to get those patients checked. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure when we talk about quote unquote long COVID, it's going to continue to be relevant. Absolutely. It comes more prevalent than we know because of the people that don't want to say anything. There, right. there are patients that I talk to on a frequently basis that they're saying they struggle going up and down stairs when they're talking about mm-hmm. six or seven stairs. I'm like, right. have you talked to your doctor about it? Not really. I just, I don't want to bother because it's not that bad. That's the only time it happens. Is it the only time? How do you know if you're not just walking down the hallway and you're getting breath? Or what happens if something else is not going to work as properly if you don't get that lung function going. If you're not using your lungs, then everything suffers. So, Oh, for sure. So I know that innovation is an important aspect of what you do, as well as an important aspect of just healthcare in general. So how do you think that innovation will impact healthcare? I think two words go together, innovation and evolving. You have to evolve. So if you look at, like I had mentioned, if you came in to see Vitalograph's business plan prior to the pandemic, it is completely 180. It's completely different direction. But by doing so, we've figured out what, what is needed in the field. By us going out there and having customers that are telling us, hey, this is what we need. This is how we need to evolve into the new healthcare. So we bring the innovations to them. They tell us what we need. We put it on paper, we develop it and really release it. So last year we introduced a new device. This year we have four devices that we're introducing. We just uh, released one. We're getting ready to release three more here at the end of the year. So it's one of those where we have heard everything that's needed. We are going to market with products that have been asked for. And updated with the ATS standards. Yes. So 2019, ATS-ERS came out with new standards for spirometry, which mm-hmm. they hadn't been changed since 2005. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, 14 years of change in healthcare. If you can think of how you changed in 14 years, <laughs> I know I changed a lot. Mark's the same guy as he's always been. So, <laughs> But yes, so the change that came was very much needed and. As a manufacturer, you see these changes and you're like, okay, let's grab it. Let's make the adjustments and release products because we want our end users, the customers 
the hospital systems, the doctor's offices to have everything at their hands that's compliant, as well as give the options for the patients to, to have the tools available to get better. It's all about patient care. Everybody wants to talk insurances and payments and whatever like that. No, it's about patient care. It should always be about patient care. And in the realm of patient care, I'd be interested in looking at how medical devices, including like these respiratory diagnostic devices, could be used more as preventative care, or at least early 100%. warning systems. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the pandemic has really opened up healthcare in a lot of different ways because in one, one way, it put a strain on it in a sense that we had so many patients. But in the other, it opened up other opportunities like uh, pharmacies being more of a, a part of the team uh, in healthcare. Mm -hmm. It used to be you just got your prescription. Now you get your shots. And, and, and there are some pharmacies that are doing spirometry. Yeah, the main clinics. Yeah. Well. And so basically, I think that because of this pandemic, there's a lot of good things that have come out on it, test the system and, and open up our opportunities in, in different industries that help the system because we've got shortages of, we had shortage of nurses and respiratory therapists before this pandemic. Now it's even worse. It's even worse. So I think you, you really hit it on the head, Danielle, with the preventative piece. We really have been a reactive culture, if you will, not just in healthcare, but in the United States where we're a reactive group, but being more preventative on healthcare in general, whether it's with diabetic patients or whatever it may be, it's not just a respiratory thing, but I think the pandemic made light even more of what your, your pre-existing injuries were, pre-existing illnesses or anything like that. So I think that we need to get back to healthy life, develop, and sort of reactive. And I do like earlier how you said, Mark, about how it put a strain on our healthcare oh, system. Yeah. And I think while it did identify a lot of weaknesses that do exist, it also identified a lot of areas for opportunity and a lot of areas for growth. And I think yeah. RPM devices and just respiratory devices in general, there was probably a lot of that there. So we talked earlier about innovation. So would you say telehealth is going to be part of that healthcare innovation in the future? I agree 100%. I think that uh, going back to payers are going to actually be putting more emphasis on telehealth as your first line right? Instead of the patients coming into the office, they're going to do a telehealth visit to isolate what needs to come in, the urgency of how bad it is and so forth. I know that with our insurance, we can call Doctors on Demand and it's a free service for us through our insurance. Doctors on Demand will do that triage appointment to see how severe it is. And if it is severe, more severe than they're able to handle, they will make you a, an appointment with a, a local physician. I think also they also have other features such as they, they track a lot of your, your medical journey with physicals and uh, screenings and such, and they reward you with that. Our, our insurance company gives points out, which you can reimburse it for gift certificates and such. I have a Fitbit that I think I'd ever have before, and it monitors all my steps. And I basically utilize that as to, to be more healthier. And then also it, it's an incentivizer for the gift certificates. And I can see telehealth doing the same thing in the future with our monitors and such as the payers see the benefits. Yeah, I think that's great from a standpoint of health literacy as well, just understanding more about your own health. Because right. I know that's something that you would think people would be aware of their own health, but really that's not the case. But innovation in telehealth, like we talked about, it's something that I'm really passionate about from a standpoint of health equity and access. 
like when we look about specialized care, like what you do with respiratory diagnostic devices, that's something that can be inaccessible to folks who are, for whatever reason, unable to travel. And that's everyone from aging populations who just are not able to travel anymore or to rural populations where travel would just be unfeasibly long. But we look at telehealth and RPM devices, and I think it's really promising from the standpoint of access and getting folks just access to specialized care that they might not have otherwise. Yeah, we work with a few programs that actually do a lot of rural health screenings. And so instead of actually sending somebody out on site to do a house visit, They'll send a box of RPM devices. Usually it's a blood pressure cuff, it's a SpO2 weight scale, respiratory monitor, and thermometer. Okay, so you do all those screenings. And then they'll have a telehealth visit once you've done those screenings in that day. And Mm -hmm. it's pretty solid. No, that's awesome from an access standpoint, I think. So (laughs) to go off topic a little bit, this is something you mentioned earlier that I wanted to touch on. I know that interoperability can be a challenge when working with medical devices and like data systems. Is that something you have to contend with in your work at all? Yeah. Yes. It's one of those where we work <laughs> with either the third-party integrators or we're working with the EMR systems and trying to get those involved for formal communication. But overall, it's gotten a lot better than it has, say, even five years ago, where at one point, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth technology was shunned upon. It was one of those where we can't control the data that comes across But Bluetooth technology and Wi-Fi technology has gotten so strong with the securities that IT groups are just asking, what's your Wi-Fi picture, if you will, or what's your Bluetooth protocols? And as soon as they see those, they are putting the stamp of approval and moving on to the next stage. I promise you, five years ago, you come in and say, hey, this is a Wi-Fi device. Sorry, we're not a Wi-Fi. And we partnered, we noticed at ATA, we partnered with about five different companies that uh, have apps. Philips is one of them, and uh, they've been around for a long time in the medical field and very lead the way and in technology. And uh, they have their own health program. We've worked with other companies such as Vital Flow and Pull Manage. They all have apps that are secure and have their specific information that they're pulling from for uh, whatever diagnostic they need for a respiratory. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> and so what do you think the future of RPM and diagnostic devices, as well as telehealth and that kind of thing in general might look like? Oh, I think that technology such as this Fitbit 10 years ago wasn't even in existence. A little company called Garmin over here started here in Kansas City has grown very vastly. And I think that the technology and healthcare is going to go right along with it with the Apple watches and such. I think that eventually we'll have monitoring on a daily basis and it'll be connected with a healthcare professional and we will have daily information going into them and then we'll be checking it probably in a hub center and it will go to your primary care doctor and keep you, keep them posted on whatever ailment you may be having or could have in the future. I think it it may be even going a little further in the fact that a lot of my Clinical time was in sleep medicine. So it went from people going into a sleep lab, doing an overnight sleep study to people doing home sleep testing. Okay. So home sleep testing, they have a device, they wear it at home, it's been delivered to them, or they go in and pick it up. But I feel like respiratory diagnostics may be going this direction where prior to you coming into the lab and doing a full workup, we're going to do a precursor test on a lung monitor, whatever it may be, just as a, give me a snapshot of your lung function. And this is this could become a requirement by insurance, is like HST, home sleep testing is for sleep medicine. 
So I see that this could be the way that insurance pushes it. But also I see that as you know, the pandemic slows down and increases, slows down and increases, it's just one of those things that I don't feel like it's going away. The future is going to continue and we're going to be more innovative on our offerings, more streamlined, more cost-effective as these things come out. Yeah, I think so. I think with our, our air quality is very questionable in the future, asthma and COPD on a rise. We just, we've got a, the baby boomers on the end are really getting hit hard on COPD. It's going to be something that's going to be a necessity. I always like asking this question about future of healthcare, because even with folks in very similar fields, you tend to get really different answers. The future of healthcare and technology and healthcare specifically is something like that's just so broad. And we talk about increased connectivity and more accurate and reliable technology. And I think that'll be great for all fields of healthcare in just so many different ways that you could take a whole day and you wouldn't be done talking about yeah. it. You get five people from five different healthcare industries and talk about innovations that are coming out and talk about, oh, that's fantastic. We should have thought about that as a market strategy or something like that, which is fantastic. I don't know why we don't do these more often. As a manufacturer, mm -hmm. I would love to sit with other manufacturers outside of just respiratory, but in other areas and say, hey, how can we all come together kind of for a one global mission? Maybe yeah, and it's, yeah, it's like the invention of calculus a lot of the time where you've got like a bunch of different people who are probably inventing the same thing, even though they're working independently. But right. I always think that's interesting yeah. how folks are coming up with all these different solutions for the same problems and addressing them in the different, different right. ways. Yeah. yeah. But I know you guys have a podcast as well. Could you tell me a little we about do. it? We do. Yeah. Because of the pandemic, we had to switch our, like I said earlier, our marketing strategy and we wanted to become more of a resource. Our website is visited all over the world, a lot of great information on respiratory diagnostic and white papers and such. So we developed a program where we have webinars that are CE approved by AAR for information out there on, on respiratory diagnostics and other issues. And, and then we developed a podcast. Our podcast is called Exhale with by Telegraph. It's on all the platforms. And again, it's just a resource of information. We've had physicians on there that have written books to a respiratory therapists to tell us about last year about their day at in the hospital with COVID. Yeah, that's one of my most proud features that we had of the podcast. It was the follow the respiratory therapist. And it was a, a four or five part series where we talked to a director of respiratory and ER, direct, ER respiratory therapist a traveling therapist, as well as a ICU therapist during COVID and what their daily routine looked like and the burnout rates. And it was just one of those raw emotional times that I felt really compelled to get the message out. And I still feel that way. And when Mark says the resources, I am big since the pandemic is that people don't want somebody to come in and sell them something. Okay. They don't want a rep to come in and say, hey, or buy my product because you need this product. Guess what? Let's be a resource. Let's be a resource for each other to grow. Okay. Whether I help you with something here or if I put a, a dot to dot connection that this is a resource for you. So with the podcast, it is across the board respiratory related, but it is, it could be an advertisement for a product. It can be just a story of how somebody came from this point to this point. It could be anything respiratory related, but I can promise you out of the 30 or so podcasts that we've done, 
anyone can find one of the subjects that they tie to that, that really relates to what their everyday life is. And I want to continue that. And I look for different podcasts and markups for different podcasts on a daily basis. We'll see somebody on LinkedIn that sits, shares a message, Facebook, Twitter. Last one was TikTok. There's a young lady that does <laughs> that has CF and she does her daily TikTok for CF and talks about her journey. It's fantastic and, and really motivating. And I love that story. So it's one of those, we're going to get a podcast with her later this year. These are the people that I want to talk to. And just like your group too, these are pieces that I love to share with. And I never realized how much we would enjoy doing podcasts, but we really do. If you go back to episodes one, two, and three, we are raw. Yeah. It is, it's ugly raw. And I know you guys can attest, but it was a microphone and that was about it. And we did our own editing. <laughs> and then we had a partner that we got in with that uh, could do the editing. And Jay does a fantastic yeah. job with that and uh, cleans it all up. And we had a, we had just to share a quick note that we had a podcast with a, a woman in Uganda. And they, of course, you want to make sure you're in a secure, quiet room. She had a rooster in the background. And, uh, <laughs> that rooster was crowing about two or three times during our interview. And uh, our editor sure had a hard time editing that out. Yeah. It's like, I, at first we had to identify it. It's like, that? what is yeah. that? It sounded like a Kyle for a minute. Yeah. It was like, okay, it happened to be just a rooster, <laughs> but it was one of those uh, amazing things that they could uh, edit it out. And then time difference, it was early in the morning here mm -hmm. and, and in Uganda, it was a late evening when yeah. the roosters were No, that's incredible. Yeah. And I do like how you touch on how social media and different just connective platforms that we didn't have 20, 30 right. years ago are just helping folks from all sorts of professions just connect and share information. Yeah. I think that's so cool. I'll, I'll be honest. When we first started the podcast, we only had LinkedIn is what we were doing. We had Twitter, but we just weren't actively doing anything with it. No Facebook, nothing else. And it became one of those places where we could expand out to. And even if it's just a post, it's nothing. It's just mm -hmm. a post. But it happened to be reaching a lot more people than we expect. They were mm -hmm. sharing it and so forth, and it meant a lot. So we continue with that avenue. I could see us doing maybe not TikTok, but just, you know <laughs> what I'm saying. It's I, mean, I, I would rather see Mark do some nice dances and okay, <laughs> let me know. I'll watch <laughs> that. My day, dancing days are over with. But yeah, it's basically it has grown, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing in the last six months. We, it took us a year to get so many downloads. And in the last six months, we've doubled it. Mm -hmm. And it's only because of content. You have to get good content and uh, interesting guests. And it, it is mm -hmm. a challenge. And uh, we, like, I, like Jansen said, we get it from a lot of social media posts, uh, run into a couple of doctors, uh, a doctor and a respiratory therapist, doctor who has a book called Exhale. And, uh, and so we interviewed him. He was a transplant doctor and he wanted to share his experiences with the challenges of transplant. And uh, then we just interviewed just recently a young lady that has a website called Exhale, and it is a it's a respiratory uh, it was a yeah, website it, it, it's a training yeah training for yeah. for respiratory therapy out of Oklahoma City yeah. and uh, and such. So it's a popular name, and I'm glad I picked it. <laughs> so I, I'm just waiting for Jada Pickett Smith and Queen Latifah from Waiting to Exhale to call it. But you guys are the Exhale family. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I love we it. We digress. So again, it's <laughs> Exhale with Vitalograph. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today on our virtual view. 
I think we had a great conversation. I really appreciate you both taking the time to be here today. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks, Danielle. Yeah, of course. Thank you for listening to A Virtual View. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.